The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. It's practically New Year's, the year of our Lord, 2020, appropriately named because it's about time we started to see things clearly. For the past few years, we have made our way down a dark path to a distorted reality, a reality controlled by greed and cruelty and built upon a structure of lies. Hopefully now, with 2020 vision, we'll be able to see the truth and goodness about truth, how it sorts out what the light demands of us in the battles between greed versus compassion, dictatorship versus democracy, religious authoritarianism versus spirituality, racism versus love, and the life of ourselves and the earth versus environmental destruction. In America, once a land of plenty, the suicide rate is galloping upward. Drug addiction is everywhere. College attendance is falling along with the length of our life expectancy. Our religions seem to be failing us, and so is the Eden we call Earth. Drought brings on wildfires. Rising ocean temperatures bring on cyclones and floods. The death of bees brings on crop failures. And oceans full of plastic waste are killing the fish and the coral reefs. 2020 is the year we must see these things clearly before we invest one more dollar in carbon-based disaster or suicide humanity itself in an all-out nuclear war. So where do we begin this 2020 vision of ourselves and the mess we've created? When I was a child, my father would tell me to clean up my room, and if I didn't, which was a lot of the time, I must say, he'd throw everything out of place into my closet. So my room appeared to be clean, but my closet was a living hell. Everything I thought I needed was buried under everything else. The other day I was talking to a friend who told me she'd finally emptied her rented storage units and couldn't believe how much money she'd wasted over the years storing stuff she didn't really need. She would never have paid all those monthly rental fees if she'd only looked at it and thought about it for more than a minute. So she had a huge yard sale, gave the leftovers to an animal shelter yard sale, and felt free at last, free at last, free of the clutter costing her money and free of some of the clutter occupying her mind. 2020 is the year to really clear things up, not hide the trash, the pollution, really, that clogs our closets, our storage lockers, our arteries, our politics, our brains, and the earth itself. We need radical transformation, the kind brought on by many NDEs, but self-generated. By the way, I had someone suggest to me the other day that anyone who yearned to be president should have a mandatory near-death experience. Their heart should be stopped for at least five minutes and an NDE report elicited before they return to the speech-giving and fundraising that they seem to love. An honest conversation with the angels might clear the clutter from their minds and from their motivations as well. Less drastic an exercise for prospective candidates, I think, might be a controlled trip on psilocybin, LSD, or the like. 
such experiences can alter bad habits uh, and bad values uh, uh, to correct them and send them in a healthy direction. Uh, I cite, for example, the recent experiments at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, where people are being cured from cigarette addiction through a guided experience with psychedelics. Speaking of which, let me talk a little about a question I'm frequently asked about psychedelics such as LSD. People intrigued by reports of NDEs ask if the NDE experience can be replicated by psychedelic drugs such as mescaline, LSD, psilocybin, ayahuasca, or DMT. I usually tell them the short answer is no, not in my experience. It's not the same, although these drugs can be eye-opening nevertheless. As our eyes see only a small part of the light spectrum, so too the doors of perception can be further opened if you know what you're taking and what you want to learn. I'm sure the day will come when tripping at Johns Hopkins will move from cigarettes to the bigger picture. And I I think, generally speaking, that'll be a good thing. A few people have gone on to ask me to describe the differences between uh, the NDE and the psychedelic experience. A shorthand, I tell them that the insights gained from drugs are more earth-based than heaven-based. In other words, the insights gained have more to do with the mystical realities inherent in this side of the veil. And to illustrate, I tell a story of the last experience I had a quarter century ago on MDMA, which is commonly known as ecstasy. So for some reason, waking up this morning, I I felt compelled to tell you guys the results of that trip a quarter century ago, my last psychedelic experience, and why I've never felt the urge to do it again. Uh, A further motivator to tell the story was that this happened on New Year's Eve, and since we are on the eve of 2020, what could be more appropriate? First, some background. I was in San Francisco to attend my son's wedding, which was held in grand style with plenty to eat and drink. Guests and family were being housed in separate locations with friends of my son. Everyone opened their houses to him. And after a long day of partying, I was left alone in a room watching New Year's Eve TV, which is, generally speaking, boring even to this day. Someone took pity on me and offered me a tab of ecstasy, which I'd never tried before. I said, okay, but what's the point if I'm stuck here watching TV? Is there any place I can go for a walk and enjoy the evening? Well, it turns out there was. Uh, my host told me, just go out the front door, turn left, go up the hill, and there's a great view of the city below. Well, this sounded pretty good, so off I went. Now, before the XTC took effect, I was walking up a dark, I believe it was a cobblestone street, very rough street, with trees, dense trees all around. It was already night. There was not much light uh, in the way of street lights or house lights to guide where I was going. So I'm stumbling along in the dark, and at the top of the hill, the street dead-ended in a turnaround, and I could see no view of the city at all. I was surrounded by these trees, these dense trees and houses and and everywhere I looked. Uh, And I thought, well, this was one huge waste of time. (laughs) I guess I'll just go back down to the house and watch more bad TV. 
But then something surprising happened, which you will attribute to the drug, which I was not feeling any effects from yet at that point in time. A little person, call him a fairy or a gnome, ran right past me, right past me in between two fir trees, following a path I hadn't spotted before. I stared in wonder, and then I thought, well, I guess I meant to follow him, whatever he was. It reminded me a story uh, uh, my sister told me years before when, at four years old, she had been playing in the yard when she saw a fairy, uh, perhaps a foot tall, running by. The fairy stopped and looked at her and was horrified to realize that she could see him, and so he quickly ran away. Anyway... So I was moving slowly now along the path, uh, not hoping to catch up with my guide and being careful not to stumble on the narrow dirt track. And as I came through the trees and rounded the hill, I came into the most magnificent view of San Francisco City below that I could possibly imagine. I stopped again, stared at it, uh, stared at all the lights below. But I wanted to also to get to a flat spot because at this point I could feel the effects of the drug coming on. And I figured I should get off this little goat path on the side of the hill with its long tumble down. Fifty feet further, the path ended on a level circle. Uh, well, yeah, 50 feet along the path further. Uh, it ended at a level circle. And feeling safer, I took more time to stare down into the city. The lights were intriguing, of course, but what I focused on were the black hills that rolled across part of the city. They spread out in a line and looked exactly like the back of a huge snake or sea monster even, rising up between the lights and falling again, then rising again, as you might imagine, the Loch Ness Monster swimming across the lake. The relationship of the serpent to the earth is well documented in myth and legend. But never had I seen it so powerfully illustrated as I did right then. Clearly, the city had protected those hills from being built upon or even lighted. So the snake's uh, black back stood in sharp contrast to the bright lights of San Francisco. In fact, the bright lights seemed almost ephemeral, superficial, compared to the massive black body of the serpent that plied up and down through the earth below. I compared the lights to fleas on the back of something massive and unrecognizable from up close, but clear to me from my vantage above. There was a huge rock nearby, and I noticed it was carved out in front where you could sit and watch the city. So I crawled into it and sat down, feeling uh, for a moment like the wise man at the top of the mountain expecting pilgrims to climb up and ask me questions about the meaning of life and everything. Clearly, the XTC was uh, doing its thing. Some people did come along the path, uh, the same path that I'd walked in on, stayed for a while, uh, admiring the view. I had the impression I could read their minds, but nothing was going on in there, so I wasn't even interested. Soon they left, but they were replaced by the next spectacular event. The full moon came into view, a full moon like I had never seen before. Not only did it seem enormous, it was 
clad in a blue cloak like an outer ring, and it seemed like nothing less to my easily impressionable mind at that moment than the uh, Earth's manifestation of a Marian apparition, you know, like Mary at Fatima or Magigoria. No, I didn't think it was Mary. I was clear it was the moon. But the blue cloak imbued it with such an authority I'd never contemplated before. Suddenly, it wasn't me that was the wise one sitting in the cave entrance on the mountaintop. It was more like I was a baby in awe of the face of the mother moon itself. And so we dialogued, moon to mind, about the intrinsic nature of the earth and of uh, as a portal to... Oh, more than a portal, an embodiment of the spiritual essence of creation. Um, this may be the biggest distinction between the NDE and, and the drug experience. Drugs can teach that the, the role of our physical being is not a hindrance to the truth, but a, a path we as physical beings must walk, perhaps in life after life, until we get it, until we appreciate the consciousness of everything. And uh, our place in it. God made it and pronounced it good. We must act on that pronouncement by bringing whatever good we ourselves can manifest to the earth. So the moon and I spent some two hours like that. And then, just at midnight to cap things off, New Year's Eve struck and fireworks were set off. Not in one place, but all over the city of San Francisco. They were shooting them up from a dozen locations. And it was spectacular. All in all, it was uh, quite an evening. Well, some of you may be wondering why I went into such detail on this experience I had. But it's, it's simply to provide a contrasting story to the detailed NDE experiences we report on the show every week. I try to draw people out in telling the details of what they remember, what they remember seeing while they were on the other side. And that's what I was just trying to do now with this story, so that you can see how the drug experience um, is more earth-oriented as opposed to the out-of-body experience. I think that's because the brain is far more engaged uh, in the drug-induced uh, doors of perception the brain, I believe, is a huge enemy to our ability to recognize and experience the ineffable. Uh, when we leave our bodies, the soul is the seat of our consciousness. A friend who had a grand seizure once told me, when my brain was totally screwed by those electrical currents surging through it, I suddenly had the answer to every question I'd ever asked. But when my brain came back online... I couldn't remember those answers. Drugs, on the other hand, engage the mind in new and sometimes frightening ways. I suspect that's why NDEs will never be replicated by drug-induced experiences, unless, of course, they find a safe drug to force an out-of-body experience. Until then, that's called an overdose and death, uh, not not a good plan by any means. The lesson to the story I just told is there should be a spiritual com uh, compulsion in each of us to protect our Eden, the earth. Last summer, to everyone's dismay at our annual family reunion in Syracuse, I read some 
predictions of the environmental catastrophes coming down the pike pretty quickly now, it seems. I think I've referenced these readings on an earlier show, but as we enter 2020, it might be a good time to reference them again. So I'll start with a report from the land down under. Uh, and this report, by the way, came out long before the terrible heat surges and wildfires Australia is right now experiencing, if you follow it in the news at all. This is an article called The End of Civilization, Climate Change Apocalypse. Could start by 2050 if we don't act. It came out in USA Today and was written by Elizabeth Wise. A chilling Australian policy paper outlining a doomsday scenario for humans if we don't start dealing with climate change suggests that by 2050, we could see irreversible damage to global climate systems resulting in a world of chaos where political panic is the norm and we are on a path facing the end of civilization. The worst thing about it, experts say, is that it actually is a fairly calm and rational look at just how bad things could get and how quickly if humans don't stop emitting greenhouse gases into the environment. The scenarios, quote, don't seem that far-fetched to me. I don't think there's anything too crazy about them, said Adam Sobel, a professor of applied physics and mathematics at Columbia University in New York City, who studies atmospheric and climate dynamics. The paper was written by an independent think tank in Australia called Breakthrough National Center for Climate Restoration. It offers a scenario to for 2050 in a world where humans didn't lower carbon emissions enough to keep the global temperature from rising. Last year's United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report said the world's nations must quickly reduce fossil fuel use to keep the rise uh, in global temperatures below 1.5 degrees Celsius. Uh, the transitions must start now and be well underway in the next, ten, in the next uh, 20 years. The Australian report imagines a world where that didn't happen and global temperatures warmed by 3 degrees Celsius or even more. That's a rise of 5.4 degrees Fahrenheit. And while that may not seem like a lot, on a worldwide scale, it is expected to result in massive, catastrophic shifts to the weather, agriculture, and even the habitability of some areas. Quote, three degrees Celsius by 2100 is a pretty middle-of-the-road estimate. It's not extreme, and it's totally believable. If serious action isn't taken, Sobel said. The writers say their scenario offers a glimpse into a world of outright chaos on a path to the end of human civilization and modern societies we have known in, in which the challenges of global security are simply overwhelming and political panic becomes the norm. Their scenario follows this outline. In the years leading up to 2050, policymakers fail to cut greenhouse gas emissions. The case for the global climate emergency mobilization necessary to keep temperatures from rising is politely ignored, in quotes. Global greenhouse gas emissions peak in 2030, that's only 10 years from now, and begin to fall during due to a drop in fossil fuel use, but damage has been done and warming reaches 3 degrees Celsius. By 2050, sea levels have risen 1.6 feet and are projected to increase 
by up to 10 feet by 2100. Globally, 55% of the population lives in areas subject to more than 20 days of lethal heat a year, beyond the human threshold of survivability. North America suffers from devastating weather extremes, including wildfires, heat waves, droughts, and flooding. China's summer monsoons, uh, fall and uh, winter water in Asia's great rivers are severely reduced from the loss of more than one-third of the Himalayan ice sheet. Within 30 years from today, ecosystems in coral reefs and the Amazon rainforest collapse, affecting fishing yields and rainfalls. Deadly heat conditions turn many areas unlivable, resulting in more than a billion people being displaced in West Africa, tropical South America, the Middle East, and Southeast Asia. Two billion people globally are affected by lack of water. Food production falls by one-fifth as droughts, heat waves, flooding, and storms affect crops. Rising ocean levels make some of the world's most populous cities uninhabitable, including Mumbai, Jakarta, Canton, Hong Kong, Shanghai, Lagos, Bangkok, and Manila. Billions of people must be relocated. This leads, of course, to fights over land, resources, and water, and potentially to war and occupations. The scenarios given in the paper are all too likely, experts say. Joanna Patz is a physician and director of the Global Health Institute at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. He's been studying the health effects of global warming for two decades. Quote, there are studies showing a a doubling of the number of people at risk for hunger by mid-century because of droughts, he said, and a wider prevalence of infectious diseases like malaria, dengue, and the Zika virus. It could result in forced migrations and massive refugee problems. He noted that just before the Syrian civil war began in 2011, one of the area's most severe droughts on record pushed rural to urban migration rates to four times normal and resulted in food riots. And that's the end of the article. But some of those uh, massive migrations out of Syria were not due to the war, though many of them were, a lot of it was due to drought and failing crops. Anyway, I mentioned my family reunion with all the kids and grandkids, and I read them this poem by Dr. Doggerel. Thirty years from now by Dr. Doggerel, the old man stood up near the fire I know you'll think that I'm a liar, he said to all the young ones present, when I tell you what was oh so pleasant when I was just a youth like you. We gathered there in Syracuse, at least I think that was the name. My memories got so lame. And we'd be happy in a yard that was so green, and some old bard would recite doggerel every year, dumb poems to make the others cheer about what the family they had done that year gone by when certain ones were grads, had married, given birth. Things that brought the family mirth. Those were the days of times gone by with sky so blue and clouds so high. No need for oxygen supply like we need now. And water flowed from faucets clean so you could drink the water from the kitchen sink. I know you young ones think I lie. It saddens me those years gone by. 
There was a great big tent outdoors where we would eat and drink galores of uncontaminated meat and cakes and pies that were so sweet. The older folks would drink their wine. It came in bottles, quite divine, from a sunny place called California before the earthquake made us mourn. That state now lies beneath dead ocean, the ocean now a plastic potion. That poet drove from coastal Maine, a plastic car on metal frame powered by burning gasoline. The outflow now would seem obscene, but strangely tempting. Now we walk to the next bunker while the talk of rebuilding a new postal service makes us all a little nervous about who would risk delivering since radiation was the sin inflicted during World War III. We watched on something called TV as we became the enemy. Before then, there were pets called dogs. Birds still flew and Then the frogs croaked in ponds both far and wide. At the lake, the geese survived long enough for some to eat them. Like all wildlife, we did defeat them. We lived in wooden houses then, made from trees. Kitchen, den, and every bed had its own room. Alexa played a merry tune whenever we requested. And now we huddle in dark basements or in these caves. There's no replacements for the trees we once could use. I remember now it was Syracuse, the place where we once all had gathered, renewing vows before we scattered. It didn't have to be that way. If your grandparents had obeyed more conservation-minded rules, but greed abounded, and we fools used up the gifts of planet Earth, so now we yearn for a rebirth of dogs and deer and birds that fly and ask our elders, why, oh why? There's an alternative poem. This would be 30 years from now if we did correct our mistakes. Earth change fears, a mortal threat, reverse spelled dog, which is God, of course. No household pet who demonstrated that the light's available when we do right. And so we closed our laptop covers, turned to our dreams where truth discovers that angels who said do not fear are in our presence are so near they can remove each desperate tear. Near-death experience first alerted that our path must be diverted from intricate technology to see the light could set us free. To see the light could set us free. We who left Eden out of grace and found that war would take its place forgot t'was God that held the answer to stop pollution, stop the cancer we generated in ourselves by replacing God with techno elves, the clever toys which we, distracted, used to make our souls less active by paralyzing higher minds. We were thinking more with our behinds. Social media, Facebook tweets, cell phone heaven neath the sheets. Instead of sleeping, who could bother sleeping, dreaming for tomorrow? But those who saw the light agreed, and answers from the light have freed us from pollution, hatred, war, since love by light we all adore as it loves us and gives the knowledge we learn from angels, not from college. Breakthroughs from collective knowing beyond technology was growing in our hearts and answers simple, not caricatured like some nuns wimple, but bearing hearts and bearing souls brought answers to make sick worlds whole. They're cures to touch, cures for the taking. All it meant was us forsaking ego, avarice, and cunning. Now in the light of love, we're sunning. Call it light, 
Akashic Record, Sophia Wisdom, God Elected. All our breakthroughs come from there, from Einstein's truth to underwear when God gave Adam clothes of hair. What is true comes from the light. What is true comes from the light. It sits there waiting for our fright to disappear like angels said. Fright almost killed us, humans dead. Looking up, we saw the, we saw answers waiting. There was no time for hesitating. Extinction looming all around, we stood there then on slippery ground. Look up, God said, but not to Mars. My plan is written in the stars for Earth to be the final Eden. You can restore the garden we'd done just to make a home for you. Before you made the home a zoo of cages for the poor, oppressed, the helpless children you distressed by cutting yourselves off from truth. But know this now, the light is proof that together we can overcome. Mistakes made then can be undone. So, as in alternative poetry, there's alternative futures lying ahead of us as well. It's all in our hands. Uh, That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to uh, hear this show again or any of our past shows, just go to nderadio.org and be with us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening and have a happy and thoughtful new year.